Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you on this uh, Wednesday morning. Very busy show this morning uh, across a number of uh, angles, including netball. And we'll be speaking to uh, Jenny Wiley, who is the CEO of Netball New Zealand, on uh, what's developing here with this uh, tiny Jameson trophy fixture between the Silver Ferns and Jamaica. A headline just coming through on stuff that it's gone so deep that world netballers uh, to investigate the serious matter of the series uh, faltering, uh, calling it faltering. So uh, we'll talk to Jenny Wiley about that uh, very shortly. Uh, we'll have talk back just after 9.30, of course, uh, All Black Test Match uh, this weekend, amongst other things that we've uh, got to talk about, uh, including maybe your favourite grounds. We're going to do our um, Mount Rushmore later on in the show, so you keep coming in with your favourite grounds too on double eight double three on the text line. Uh, we've uh, picked four each, uh, Logan Swinkles and myself, uh, and we'll uh, get to those in the last hour of the show. Ricardo Ball after 10 o'clock uh, to uh, update on the EPL, uh, what's been happening in the world of football. The panel will be Guy Havelt this morning with James Regan. number of issues to talk about there. And then, of course, well, the President's Cup gets underway uh, this weekend at Quail Hollow in Charlotte. And uh, David Bileski, uh, the golf analyst who's been so good to come on the show so often. Well, we've got to go back uh, to uh, David Bileski to get an update on how he sees this panning out with the LIV players defaulting out of it or not being selected, etc. What kind of spectacle is it going to be? Uh, and uh, we'll talk to Staff just before he takes over. Uh, I think he has abbreviated shows on Wednesdays anyway, but uh, he'll be there uh, at 12 o'clock on Wellington and Auckland frequencies. Of course, Andy Thompson will cover the rest with Rural Roundup between 12 and 1. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, great news for ticket holders at Eden Park this weekend, for the rugby in particular. Two games, internationals at that, for the price of one. The All Blacks, the Wallabies, the Black Ferns and the Cherry Blossoms all on show with matches that really matter. Rugby Championship on the line too. Usually it's pretty cut and dried by now, isn't it? And the last hit out for our ladies before the World Cup, which is so close now, you can almost touch it. The best news though, that under the new Bernard Foley rule, the referees will be all over time wasting. The net result, the ball will be in play, so much more, greater value for money. What a spectacle. Kickers taking a minute only to kick goals. Less than half of that time to kick the ball into touch. Players jogging to line-outs, props taking care of technique to ensure no reset scrums, no feigned injuries, no water boys, 
constantly on the park, it's going to be a beautiful thing. And if you believe that, you seriously need your own HIA. And there will be more chance of that happening than Darcy Swain being anywhere close to the facility, one would hope anyway. Truth is, nothing will change, we all know that. Which makes last week's decision even more ridiculous. The truth is, if you listen to referees, they are constantly telling players to get a wriggle on. Monsieur Reynal's ruling, which has split two nations again, was a one-off and so dramatic in its outcome, it can only be described as, well, French. And who, apart from an Aussie, would possibly claim that we are all square now for the 40-plus-year-old underarm incident? Back then, it was overseen by Aussies, dreamt up by an Aussie, implemented by an Aussie, supported by Aussies. So where was New Zealand's part in this to the, the level, the, the same amount of um, degree? Who thought that they could level the ledger there with what we did? Well, that's right, the All Blacks deemed it right to score a try as a result of that mayhem. Outrageous, disgraceful, ridiculously unfair and unsporting. Sorry, but can't even blame a French whistleblower for that logic, no matter how much time one takes. Well, with passport and visa issues, the tiny Jamison Trophy seem between uh, the Silver Ferns and uh, Jamaica has proven to be a logistical nightmare, but the show must go on. Originally to be played as a three-game series, it now has been chopped to two, following a myriad of complications. It all starts tonight, and joining us on SENZ in the mornings is the CEO of Netball New Zealand, Jenny Wiley. Jenny, good morning to you. Thanks for your time. Kia ora. Nice to be here. Yeah, well, I suppose uh, in better circumstances, Jenny, because it's uh, been a, a little bit of a shamozzle, to say the least. Why has this happened? Oh, look, it, um, yeah, really good question. We contracted this uh, series with Jamaica back in June, so there's been um, a series of events since then um, outside of our control that has taken place, and um, we find ourselves here in less than ideal circumstances. Um, with a game tonight. Okay, so it's uh, visa issues. So what uh, if you you look at the origin of the problem? Do we go back to the United States? Is that is that fair to say? Well, I think we all know that COVID and travel uh, have made have all gotten quite difficult over the last few years, um, and we're also working with a largely volunteer group. Um, you, you know, you've got to appreciate there is. Uh, um, some nations that have paid staff and Jamaica is not one of them. So these guys are all working their own jobs at the same time, but there is visa issues. Um, there is a requirement for their athletes to come either through the states or non-visa countries and um, the availability or the timeliness of submitting visa applications is super important. So we find ourselves with a closing net around time to travel, travel options, and um, and unfortunately you find yourself with seven players arriving uh, a couple of days before the test match. So, uh, Jenny, I mean, this how long has this series been mooted? I mean, uh, has there been time to sort this out? Is, is this pretty much an oversight this time round, or, or do we just have to allow more time from the, you know, because of the situation you've just mentioned? 
Oh, look, I think there's there's definitely learnings. Um, we started the conversation with Jamaica around this series in February of this year, and we had it contracted with them in June. Um, we know that the visa processes do take longer, but I think in hindsight um, there would have been the ability to, to get a wider group of visas so that injuries and illness and unavailability could have been accounted for. Um, and they were also factors in where Jamaica found themselves um, come travel time. So I've just uh, checked in with stuff this morning, and just before we came to where I noticed a story where World Netball Chief Executive Officer Claire Briegel has confirmed that the problematic series would be investigated. What, what do you know about that, and what, what could possibly come of that? Well, I think um, World Netball need to look at the circumstances that brought us to this place. Um, it can't be repeated. And I think what's really important is that they have regulations that allow them to review what has taken place. Um, they could look at sanctions, they could look at changes to rules um, and all sorts of other areas of recourse um, for affected parties. So I think once we get through the series, it's time for us all to sit down, both ourselves and Netball Jamaica and World Netball, and look at what took place um, and where we go forward to ensure we don't get here again. So a three-match series effectively becomes a two-match series, which I, I would imagine costs uh, a little bit of revenue on, on your part in particular. Um, who, who bears the cost of that? Do you have to front with that? Yeah, yep, you're absolutely right. Going from three to two is never a good maths equation when you're in the sporting world. Um, and the impact on us is material. We haven't quantified it at this point, but we do know, you know, we had to move out of um, Glowbox Arena in Hamilton. They've been incredibly supportive and great for, uh, we're grateful for that. But there are contractors in with our broadcaster and what have you that are scheduled. Um, you know, there are deposits that can't be recovered. And then there is the impact on fans. And, and it's not you know, merely about the ticket revenue. It's about the people that have actually taken time off work, they've booked accommodation, they've booked travel, and not all of that is refundable. So to quantify the impact on um, the wider group is going to take a bit of time. But, yeah, it's not without um, loss to Netball New Zealand and impact on our fans and our partners that we all work with. So, uh, Jenny, let's look at uh, what you've come up with now as uh, of, well, a replacement. It's, it's not going to replace the three-game series, but what are the arrangements now? And, and uh, let's look at uh, what kind of side Jamaica are going to be out of front with. Yeah. So the arrangement, so where we are at now is we are playing back-to-back -back test matches, which actually replicates how we play our pinnacle events, be it com games or the Netball World Cup the teams play back-to-back. -back. Um, so at least in that sense, it provides that sort of sense of um, uh, occasion. Uh, and we are playing tonight at Event Finder Stadium on the North Shore, and it's actually a sellout. So people are wanting to come and see. And our second test match is at Bruce Pullman Park out in Takanini, South Auckland. So the ability to take the games both north and south within Auckland. Um, and... Those tickets are on sale now, so it's um, yeah we, we are getting the fans um, coming through the doors, which is really exciting. 
they want to support netball, um, it's really important as a, a part of our build-up to Netball World Cup. Clearly, the Sunshine Girls, as uh, they are labelled, uh, the Jamaican side, uh, will not be at the same strength because of uh, the fictions that they were at the recent Commonwealth Games. But how competitive do you think they still will be? Well, it's going to be an interesting watch because if you think about the Commonwealth Games, they had five of their starting seven who actually played the majority of the competition um, play in the Australian League. So we're very familiar with their play and we know who they are and where they're at in terms of their career and maturity. In terms of this group that we do see, there's every likelihood that many of them could be at Netball World Cup next year. So this is an important part of our building and our surveillance to actually have a crack at um, these guys out there on the court. They're young, they'll want to represent. And we've got to remember, it's not the athletes or the coaches' um, fault that we're in this position where we have you know, moved fixtures and less than ideal circumstances. They all arrived in good faith and are here to play. And I think that they'll get out there and do the very best of their ability but what I do know is Knowles has got a, uh, you know, a broader plan. Everything is meticu meticulously engineered backwards from um, the Netball World Cup, which is in July of next year. And every part of this stepping stone has a learning opportunity and a purpose. Right. So it's super important. It's an interesting... For uh, theory, actually, to work from, uh, from back to front, I, I, I quite... Quite like that concept, actually, but of course this was, this is a a little blip on the radar in terms of of that process. But what if in the in the interim um, have, have our ladies stayed together, or what has happened with our squad? Yeah, our group have been in camp um, and they've been using their time to plan, um, and part of that is scenario planning when things don't go to. The original plan and I think we're rebuilding we have a young group they had some great momentum at the back end of Commonwealth Games and that was evident in our performance against England and so it's super important that they maintain that and put the foot down and keep moving forward and you know nothing like a bit of adversity or resilience um, opportunity for learning for a group that are coming together and reforming uh, with some you know, key players not being available. So there's always going to be something that we can take away from it, um, but it's all part of that bigger plan of Knowles and her strategy. Well, one of the big pluses uh, when she gets to take the court will be the return of uh, Amelia Ann uh, Ekanasia, of course, back in the fold as captain, and which would be great for, uh, I would imagine, Dame Nolene and the rest of the squad. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Mills, her loss was felt. Um, the team did a great job and they've supported her throughout and it's just fantastic to have her um, fit, well and ready and eager to play and take that leadership forward. So we saw her at Netball World Cup. We've seen her win the Constellation Cup as captain. Um, so, yeah, it's great. It's so good that she's back out on court and um, I look forward to seeing her put those shots up. And just just remind us too, if you possibly could, uh, Jenny, the the importance of the the Tiny Jamison Trophy. I mean, is it is it right up? Is it Netball's Bledisloe Cup? Is it you know more important than uh, some of our uh, other sports trophies to you? 
Well, we play the Constellation Cup against New, Ze- uh, New Zealand Australia, and mm. that is you know that's that real fierce Trans Tasman rivalry. The Tiny Jamison is important because Tiny Jamison was a massively Im- influential and important figure in women's sport and in netball, um, and that is played against any other country other than Australia. And we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that probably the last time we played Jamaica was prior to our our Commonwealth Games um, performance in 2018, where we certainly didn't perform any way near where we wanted to, and Jamaica took the trophy off us. So that trophy, we want that one back. Um, (laughs) You know, that's super important as well. Uh, Jenny... Um, just uh, before we leave this, uh, the subject of the tiny Jamison, I just had a text come in actually um, as we speak. I had uh, from this unnamed texter though. I had uh, tickets to Sunday's netball test in Hamilton. I have not received any communication from the ticketing agency. Very poor. Uh, what do you advise people to do? So ticket text terms are um, that they should be contacting all people, and refunds will be made within thirty days. So. We've offered a full refund um, that was done immediately. So I, su- I suggest that they get in touch with the ticketing agency again, and if they have no luck, get in touch with Netball New Zealand. Okay, cool. Thanks for that advice. Uh, let's look at uh, something a little bit more positive, shall we? The state of netball in the country in terms of the growth, secondary school level, etc. is it uh, keeping up with uh, other sports? Well, yes, absolutely. And I think um, what was exciting is, you know, the recent Ames Games and all the parents, you know, were able to get their kids away for a week away. Um, netball was the most played sport and I, it had the most teams, most participation. And I think that is a true testament to the strength of it. And what was exciting is, you know, we started to see a few more of the, the young boys come through as well. So in that sense, um, COVID has impacted all sports particularly female sports, um, but what we are seeing is a bit of a bounce back. So uh, yeah, really pleased in that sense. Um, we, we are the, the strongest sport in secondary schools in terms of all sports in New Zealand. So it's a real key strength of ours and, and something that we want to maintain and keep growing. And just finally, Jenny, men's netball, we see our men's side is uh, very uh, competitive. It's uh, often used as a tool for Dame Nolene and, and her girls uh, to actually practice against as such. Uh, so it's been quite a viable uh, kind of thing, men's netball. Is there a future for that? Is there an administration or anything for that? Yeah, so men's and mixed have their own organisation that has been in existence for 30 years. Um, they're uh, an associate member of Netball New Zealand and we're in regular communication with the men all the time. Um, and they've been, it's been great to be able to work with them and really showcase their talents at that high performance level. And what we will be seeing is um, the Fast Five Tournament, the World Series in November down in Christchurch, we'll be seeing men's Fast Five as a demonstration sport. So that is that real razzle-dazzle sportainment product, um, Fast Five mm. modified form of the game. And, um, yeah, it'll be great to have the Aussie men and England and our Kiwi men there too. But let's not lose sight of they'll also be featuring as a double header before our first Constellation Cup test match. Um, first time that it's been broadcast, New Zealand be Australia men um, on the 12th of October at Spark Arena. So that's just going to be another opportunity to highlight the growth and uh, the strength in that code. 
Fantastic. Uh, Jenny, just just finally, so tonight's a sellout. Tomorrow night, still possibilities? Yep, tickets um, are on sale now. So uh, out at Bruce Coleman Park in Tekanini. So great for South Auckland. Good, Jenny. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Sympathise with you for the difficulties you've been through, but um, re- resilient uh, bunch, uh, your netballers, so you'll get through it, and I'm sure it'll be what we do see will be ultra successful. Thanks for your time this morning, and, and good luck over the next couple of nights. Thank you. Cheers. Uh, Jenny Wiley there, CEO of uh, Netball New Zealand, going through all sorts of problems with uh, things, that obviously, uh, most of which are out of their control that they just have to live with. So uh, tough times, but uh, netball will proceed. And that is tonight and tomorrow night. And uh, tonight's sold out, but you've got an opportunity uh, in the Auckland area, even if you want to come up from Hamilton and make up for a lost opportunity uh, to perhaps uh, drive up the motorway and uh, have a look tomorrow as well. Uh, 9.23 here on SCNZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, well, bumper rugby this weekend at Eden Park and then, of course, the football the next day with uh, the All Whites taking on Australia. Um, and uh, Dave Rennie's been uh, on the show, or well, not the show, but on, on the station over the, the last couple of days and uh, he was quizzed on uh, the comparison between uh, Marvel Stadium and Eden Park. Remember how long it's been since Australia have beaten New Zealand at Eden Park? Well, this is Dave Rennie's opportunity to try and break that hoodoo. This is uh, what he said about uh, comparing those two stadiums. Rugby in the headlines at a very tough time for rugby to get a headline. Uh, can't be a bad thing if you'd have parked the result for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, look, um, it's, it's a competitive landscape over here, no doubt. So um, oh, I think even after the test, I saw the news the next night and there was um, all the talk was about the AFL and all the big games coming up, so mm. we're probably still ten minutes into the news. But um, yeah, I look in the end, it was a hell of a game, wasn't it? I, I thought it was a great game of Test footy and mm. unbelievable venue. Uh, it's the advantage of putting a roof on. It wasn't a great day in Melbourne, but you got a dry track with no wind, no rain, and and two positive sides. So uh, I thought it was a great advertisement for for Test footy. Reg, you talk about obviously what a great game it was last Thursday and the fact that the roof was on. Does that almost instantly change this week coming to Eden Park? If there's no rain, it'll still be probably greasy. Does it Does it change things pretty pretty substantially in that way? Yeah, I think both sides will end up kicking if there's, if there's rain about. I know, I know there's been lots of rain over there. The long-range forecast looks like it might be right about game time. So... Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll play the conditions based on on what they are, and uh, sounds like there might be a bit of wind around as well. So, yeah, oh, always test skill sets, but um, oh, I think you'll still see that both sides want to play. Well, let's hope so. Uh, it's a sellout crowd, <clears throat> and if they do want to play and they don't want to get on with it under the the Foley rule, uh, it should be some hell of a spectacle. So we'll. We'll look forward to that at Eden Park. Uh, we'll look forward to your calls too uh, very shortly. 0800 150 811. Chemist Warehouse voucher for 50 bucks uh, up for grabs. Of course, would uh, really like to hear from you on the prospects for this weekend's test match. Uh, what have you uh, made in terms of the fallout? What are you expecting Darcy Swain to get? Uh, what would you give Darcy Swain on the evidence of of what we saw at the weekend? Uh, he's going to the judiciary today. Uh, be a little bit later on in the day because of Australia time, but uh, we'll get some sort of uh, ruling, some kind of verdict uh, out of them. Any extra punishment added on? What would you give him? 
I know what I'd give him. He wouldn't be playing this week or uh, for quite some time, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but we'll just see uh, how that plays out with the judiciary. 0800 150 811 is our number after the news here with Araha. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. Yep, uh, 0800 150 811, uh, as the lady said. Uh, please uh, get on the line and uh, make contact with us uh, on a number of issues, a number of issues. Jeff the Ref uh, from Cromwell, good morning to you, Jeff. Good morning, Billy. Well, I'll just turn the old chairs handpiece off, buddy. Uh, just doing a bit of crutching this morning. Yeah, just, on, just quickly, my, my uh, four, four grounds are Cardiff, Arms, Lansdowne, MCG. And I'm going to Eden Park for the first time. So this country boy's heading to Eden Park on Saturday. So I'm really looking forward to that, Smithy. So I don't know who's refereeing. Would Would you know who's uh, refereeing yeah, this week, Jeff? Yeah, I do. We've got an Irish referee, a French AR, and a Welsh AR. So I'd say the whoever's the most disciplined on Saturday will win the Test match. It's going to come down to either an AR call. Or TMO called, or or maybe that last one minute by the referee. Who knows? Who knows, Smithy? Okay, yeah. so how would you have handled it, Jeff? With all your experience, I, I know you have an internet uh, refereed international rugby uh, to that level. Um, I just wonder how you would have handled it the other night. Well, you, it's like any rule; you can't bring it out in the last minute. If you're going to rule it, you rule it from right from the start. You know, do your pre-match talk, they know, and then your referee, you clean anything up. In the first 10, 10 to 15 minutes, that's when you, you set the, you know, set the standard. You don't bring any, I hate referees that don't, they're penalised in the last minute and they haven't penalised the same ruling right through the game. So, yes, he was correct by law, but yeah, yeah, that was a big call. Uh, it is a big call, and you're spot on there. Um, offside lines in the 80th minute are nowhere near the same they are in the first five minutes. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So they, it needs to be a tidy up. Um, the ARs and the referee need to be on the same page, and but set the standards. You know, get the offside lines clearly onside. You know, if you get a free kick or penalise throw something in the bin in the first 10 minutes, do it. And, and the players will respond. They just want consistency, you know. And, and um, yes, I know that we could have picked different situations, you know, the Foley forward pass or, you know, the situations like that. And, and that actual turnover in that last minute too by Ozzy, I, that was a 50-50 call. So, you know, you could look, analyse the game. But, yeah, let's, let's get more consistently and, just be consistent, you know, and um, and make the game flow, you know, to tidy it up. You know, why why you know why penalise the line out right for uh, creeping in, and you don't penalise the halfback to put put it on a, under the you know the lock's feet. You know, there's inconsistent between line outs and scrum feeds. You know, no, you're dead right. I mean, and. and it, Consistency, I think, is a key word that everyone talks about, whether it's uh, you, Jeff, or whether it's Dave Rennie or 
Ian Foster, even Steve Hansen uh, in the past, they've all had grievances with officials and why wouldn't they? But the one thing that uh, always comes through at the end of the day is that word uh, consistency, mate. Uh, thanks very much for your call. Hey, and enjoy your trip to your Eden Park, your pilgrimage north, and uh, I hope that you get great value for money. Uh, I would imagine uh, if you get early and uh, are able to get there and watch uh, the Black Ferns play against the Cherry Blossoms as well, uh, give them a nice f- little send-off before uh, the World Cup starts. I think it's going to be a, a really wonderful occasion, Eden Park, on Saturday afternoon into the evening. Uh, Neville from Dunedin. Good morning to you, Neville. Good morning, Smitty. Um, yeah, that final call really, oh, I just couldn't really get my head around it. Um, the referee is the sole judge of time, isn't he? Well, so, that's my understand. That's my understanding yeah. uh, is that he has yeah. got leeway within his own thinking to add uh, thirty, forty seconds on if he sees um, right. any deliberate stuff. I mean, more so than the guy with the hooter upstairs. I'm not quite sure how closely they work together or whether TMO's part of that as well, but I, I agree with you. He's he used to be the sole judge of time. Exactly. Well, he he could he because I mean he he um contacts the TMO when he wants them to review it. Um, so why didn't he just immediately say stop the clock and start it again when he kicks it? I mean, it's so easy. I, mean, I just couldn't believe it. In the last minute, the Aussies deserved to win that. Um, if that had been the All Blacks, good grief. If, if we'd been penalised like that, we'd never hit the end of it. Um, and being the All Black, I don't think that would ever happen. But the Aussies, they seem to, um, I don't know, they just seem to get the wrong end of the stick sometimes and can't take a trick. But anyway, it, it's ruined the um, second game to some degree because there's nothing on it now. They can't win the bleeders low, so, um, yeah, it just takes it away. The referee's uh, they, on his own. Yeah. He has won the bleeders low cup in New Zealand. Well, that's, uh, that is true. Uh, that uh, Australia won't be winning the, the rugby championship or the bleeders low cup, but they can certainly stop New Zealand winning it. Uh, and that, I think, is, is probably their incentive. They, if they left Eden Park with a win, they'd have broken a massive hoodoo, Nev, uh, as, as well as that, uh, as well as um, stopping us winning the, the championship with all likelihood. Uh, the other thing, Neville, I'd quite like to talk to you about, of course, is the President's Cup this weekend. What are you thinking? Well, well quite frankly, when you see the number of players missing on either side, it certainly doesn't hold as much interest for me. Um the whole golf scenario is just so sad. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be doing an in-depth story on it for Golf Pacific. Um, not, not a, you know, just looking at the facts. Um, right at the beginning, Greg Norman wanted to talk to the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour, but they ignored him. They didn't even give him the courtesy of an acknowledgement. And he repeatedly tried to get to sit down with them, and they they just ignored him. And so um, things have escalated. Um, we've seen the PGA Tour simply copy the Live Tour and trying to combat them and calling them the enemy. You know, it's just been like a one-sided war. Um, and Greg Norman has now finally said 
I'm just not going to talk to them now because it's just gone too far. So he, he just run out of steam. And um, it could have all been so different if, if they'd sat down and talked and fitted in live golf and it could have actually been, you know, it could have been another very good um, opportunity for players, but like you won, you know, your 2020 cricket. Um, mm. And the other interesting thing is the CEO of the LPGA Tour and also the CEO of the Women's uh, European Tour, and they are women, have both said they will be very happy to sit down and discuss any proposal from Live Golf. And that is such a more mature and different attitude to what Monaghan and Pally have done. Interesting, Neville. Um, with that, that dear, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. There's been a massive breakdown in communication, and it's going to take a massive amount of, um, I think, uh, communication and uh, a lot of sides uh, giving ground before anything happens to bring them anything like close together. Jared from Christchurch. G'day, Jared. Hey, Smitty. How are you? Yeah, good, man. Very, very good. Yourself? Yeah, good. Hey, um, I love the rhetoric around off. Oh, the shoe was on the other foot. You know, you guys would be kicking up a, a stink. And that, that might have some uh, truth to it, but I'd like to think that we'd also be, you know, digging into whoever was tr- uh, kicking the ball out in a timely fashion as well. But, like, who else apart from Kiwis would, would have given a, a crap about us kicking up a stink? You know what I mean? Like, everyone would have just said, oh, you should have been kicking, you know? It's fine to say, hey, if the shoe was on the other foot, yeah, but would you care if it was if it happened to us, right? No one would care. They'd be just hoeing into us. So there's that theory as well, mate. So also with Darcy Swain, I'd just like to say, like, in a, in a game where players are getting red carded in multiple weeks suspensions for accidental head clashes and, you know, shoulders to the head where players are moving at... Uh, high speeds and, you know, a lot of accidental stuff going on. For that to be ruled a yellow card was absolutely mind-boggling to me, like an intentional act of, like, thuggery that you you don't really see um, these days. You know, 80s and 90s were were probably the last time you see this sort of um, garbage, like a sickening act, right? And for that to get a yellow card was, I thought, that was probably the biggest decision of the match for me. Like, uh, unbelievable. Like, just, just crazy that guy's a thug so i hope he gets eight to 12 weeks mate it's just disgusting and read it read just a few selections a really interesting week for selections like you know the possibility of geordie going into 12 he seems to be the front runner by sort of what's being said in the media so i just pray that they don't put Bodum. nothing against Bodie. he's great coming off the bench or even starting at 10 but don't put him back to fullback and sort of start with the failed experiment from the, the bloody uh, 2019 World Cup. You've got the country's best fullback sitting on the wing there. Put him back to fullback. Sebu Reid, who didn't do anything wrong to be dropped in the first place, great defender also, sitting there waiting for his turn. I mean, like, just don't put Bodie back there. Just have him off the bench or have him start. Just... And hopefully, you know, Hardy gets a go at seven. I'd love to see him have another run around at seven, mate. That guy's an absolute freak, so welcome him back with open arms. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing is for sure, Artie Savia will be in there. We do not know what jersey he will wear, but I'm with you. I'd like to see him at seven. And certainly uh, if uh, the number 15 jersey does become vacant for um, reasons of Geordie Barrett getting shifted uh, slightly further forward, there is only one option. There is only one option, and it has to be Will Jordan. It just simply has to be Will Jordan. Uh, it is 9.45 here on uh, SENZ. Uh, we have to take a, a short break. We'll be back soon. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 9.50, and uh, we just heard that little clip from uh, Dave Rennie there, and what he said right at the very end is the most pertinent of the whole lot, actually. Um, he's a very considered man, Dave Rennie. doesn't matter if it's straight after the game or two or three days after the game, he'll come up with the same theories. Uh, and quite simply what he said there about why are we worried about the clock, only worried about the clock in the last minute or two of the game as opposed to the rest of the game. Uh, and that, that to me sums up the whole deal. Um, Smithy, regarding your sermon uh, and so-called of the evening of the ledger, those Aussies are obviously from uh, the land of Oz, you mean the Wizard of Oz. Uh, I will be teaching my young child about sportsmanship and uh, the underarm will be front and centre of this, lest we forget. And if one of the most respected people in cricket, namely Mr Richie Bernau, thought it was the worst uh, thing he'd ever seen, then who are we to argue? That's uh, from Mikey G. And yes, uh, well, remember uh, Richie Bernau's uh, clip on that. That's been replayed several, several times, in fact, every year. In fact, I, I noticed actually last night, I think it's on Prime this weekend, this Saturday night, they're doing an underarm programme there, and I... Uh, I said to my wife, uh, I wonder why they're doing it on this Saturday night of all nights. Uh, and it clashes, of course, um, with the, the rugby test match on. Uh, the rugby test match will uh, outrate it uh, hands down, there's no doubt about it. Some people might tape it, but it's an old show. And uh, the anniversary, it's usually the anniversary they play it on, which is the 1st of February each year, but it's on this Saturday night. Um, I don't know why. I, I can't quite work out the reasoning for what, why it's on. Uh, here's another text. Uh, morning, Ian. We are asking for the impossible if we want consistency across games because we can analyse everything, uh, everything to death. It doesn't mean we will get it all right. Injury breaks, water breaks, changing boots, etc., all slowing the game down by desire. So right there. Uh, we have been uh, asking for your favourite grounds, of course, as well, because we're going to do a Mount Rushmore on it uh, later this morning. Uh, and Chris has come in with Parc de France, uh, Parc de France, Paris, uh, watched Bruce Robertson in the 70s, the main stand at Lansdowne Road. What a trek to get to the top seats there in 91 when we lost to those bloody Aussies. Uh, Favourite ground, uh, another's coming, Augusta National Golf Club. My goodness, I'd love to go there. Heck, if I got six numbers and a bonus tonight, I'd be there tomorrow. I can promise you that. It is um, uh, coming up to uh, 9.53. How does New Zealand cricket uh, central contracts work? Can Bolton and Nisham still be picked for the T20 World Cup or do contracted players take precedence? We used this game in yesterday, but it's worth answering, of course, because Bolton and Nisham were picked for the T20 World Cup. What it effectively means is that uh, they make uh, their call on what they're available for. They don't have any responsibility to New Zealand cricket. New Zealand cricket, I, I guess, and the selectors will go to them at any point and say, are you available for this event? Are you available in this window? Um, but they have um, absolutely no allegiance to them as individuals. But because of the quality of someone like Bolt and Nisham, I suppose, to a large degree, uh, you're always going to want them in your team if they're available, particularly for a T20 World Cup um, or for a T20 series or a one-day series here at home, which are important to get your best players on show. So that, that's basically how it works. They do not get any central contract money 
from New Zealand cricket. They don't have any guarantee of um, an annual salary as such, but what they do have are match fees, uh, and then they will also have uh, the ability to make themselves available for various uh, fixtures along the way. When it comes to developing players, you're not going to pick them, but when it comes to winning trophies, you probably will, and that's what it boils down to for Gary Stead and for Gavin Larson. It is 9.54 here on SENZ. Now Te Roa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Yeah, total flop yesterday. Australia beat India in the cricket just to round off a pretty miserable punting sort of day on the sport. Uh, but uh, in terms of our Māori today, Taranaki tonight to beat Counties Manukau at $1.55 at SMPC action on a Wednesday night. Uh, the Texas Rangers to beat the LA Angels at $1.97. That's Major League Baseball. And Louis Tip, Wild Night, Wild Night, Race 3, Matter Matter today at $2.80 to really up the ante at $8.55 for the multi today. Uh, right, uh, we will be talking to uh, Ricardo Ball, the ever-reliable Ricardo Ball, about football after the news here with Araha. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, some but not all Premier League uh, teams returned to action over the weekend following the passing of Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, of course. But as the official mourning period comes to an end for her, uh, life and football returns as we pretty much know it. And closer to home, the All Whites are preparing for their long-awaited two-match series against Australia's Socceroos this Thursday and Sunday. Of course, Sunday being the second part of a massive doubleheader at Eden Park and tickets are still available for that. Uh, joining us now is uh, SENZ's very own football guru, Ricardo Ball. Ricardo, good morning to you. Yeah, morning, Smithy. How you doing? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Uh, before we get on to football as such, let's talk about uh, time wasting, etc. In uh, football, we see a little bit of it, but referees are still the sole judge of time, aren't they? In terms of whilst they hold up these uh, little signs on the on the sideline to say we'll have four minutes of added time whatsoever, referee still has discretion within that period. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so the, the the number that gets held up on the sideline that you mentioned is the minimum amount of added time, and then the referee can add on top of that. So. Uh, generally speaking, you know, they'll stop for injuries. Uh, they will also add 30 seconds for every substitution. And, um, yeah, the referees, you know, that's why sometimes you'll see fans complain. Like, you know, the board said four minutes and they end up playing eight minutes because one team is trying to waste time and the referee is adding that time on. Yeah, interesting, actually. Every sport is a different way of dealing with it in terms of cricket, of course. They punish. They punish with uh, fines and uh, overrate suspensions and they're going to... Uh, my understanding is uh, in the months to come, they're going to experiment with having players who are outside the circle to protect boundaries being brought in, so it makes it harder on the bowling side, and they're the ones punished because of their slow overrate. So I don't mind that at all. We'll see how that plays out. But let's get back to football in particular. Uh, of the sides that uh, did manage to get some action over the weekend, Tottenham blew the doors off uh, 6-2 with a win against Leicester City, who are really struggling to start the season. Yeah, they are. They're, they're, they're hopeless at the back at the moment for some reason. Uh, they're really open in midfield as well, and, it, and it's hard to see why. Something 
uh, is, is going on that we don't know about, I think, uh, behind the scenes. And I, to be honest, I'd be surprised if Brendan Rodgers survives this international window. Um, I think the only thing holding them back from sacking Brendan Rodgers is how much it'll cost them. Um, so Leicester, it appears, uh, are having issues with financial fair play. Uh, which is uh, part of the reason they didn't bring anybody in um, for a long time and the, and the transfer window just gone. They ended up selling for Fana um, and that was about all the business they did and they, they brought in $70 million, but uh, they had a very full squad so they didn't have room to bring anybody in. They needed to ship people out to bring people in and the people that they wanted to uh, you know, that they wanted to ship out, they didn't have buyers for and the people they wanted to keep, they did and I think it was a bit of a, an arm wrestle, a bit of a battle there. I, I don't think Brendan Rodgers is particularly happy about that. So, yeah, it's an interesting one because the, the interesting thing, Smithy, is you know Spurs going forward, um, they started with Richarlison and Kulisevsky either side of Harry Kane, um, and they looked great going forward. They brought on Son, who scored the hat-trick as well off the bench. But Spurs actually didn't play very well. I, I know it sounds weird to say when you when you you talk about a team winning 6-2, but they just didn't play very well. Uh, you know, it was 2 all for a long time, and at, at one point, you know, Spurs had gone 3-2 up. Leicester could have got a third goal, but while they were pushing, they just left themselves so open. It was very un like very un-Brendan Rodgers-like, and, you know, uh, Spurs were able to just hit them on the counter again and again and again, and, um, yeah, I, I, I think Brendan Rodgers' time at Leicester is fast coming to an end. Man City and Arsenal both with uh, 3-0 wins over Wolves and Brentford respectively and uh, with Spurs they round out the, the top three. Mm, yeah, and Arsenal continue to impress, you know, under my Mikel Arteta. Um, he's got them playing a, a very good brand of football. Um, they, I, I, I do worry about them long term in terms of their depth in midfield. I think they, they'll, they'll have issues there and they'll probably look to do something in January. Potentially, but I, I think uh, you know things are all, all signs are looking good. They've got a good centre back partnership now uh, with um, Gabriel, the Brazilian, and um, Saliba, the, the Frenchman. Uh, very young, he's only 22, but he, he looks a, a good player. Um, they've managed to add depth to their fullback ranks, so that's looking good. They've got options there, uh, and Martinelli is playing very well. Saka is, is you know a great option off the bench. Um, they've got Odegaard. Um, who I think has been one of the most important players in midfield. He can play either as an eight or he can play behind the striker as a ten. And then I think the final piece of the puzzle, something that's been missing for a while, is Gabriel Jesus, uh, an out-and-out nine who will close, who will do all the running, uh, and has great finishing ability. And uh, yeah, Arsenal are looking very good, top of the table at the moment. And you know, when you consider Smithy last season, you know they lost their first three games of the season. They they were zero points. They were in twentieth place, mm. and you know there were people, Arsenal fans, calling for Mikel Arteta to get the sack and for them to do something else. Um, so I think how he's turned that team around in a year is it's super impressive. All right, let's uh, look at uh, a couple of uh, matches that were postponed, uh, including Chelsea and Liverpool and Manu and Leeds. For believe it or not, the police shortages shortages during to the nation's mourning period. They'll get those games back, surely. Well, they will. It's just a matter of when. Um, the, it won't be this side of the World Cup, I don't think, uh, because if you look at those sides, you know they're all involved in Europe. So pretty much, once this international window is done, they will be playing. You know, every uh, twice a week they will be playing weekend, midweek, weekend, midweek, right through to the World Cup, um, which I think they. The leagues break around November the 8th, November the 10th for that. So it's not a lot of time. So they won't fit them in this side. So it'll have to be post-World Cup. But it's, 
yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because the calendar is so full because of the World Cup that um, they've really left themselves in a predicament. And I do wonder why... I mean, I know they've said that the police resources, but I, do, I did wonder why the initial round um, was postponed when they postponed that first round because the government, the UK government, had said to them that they were, they were free to, to go ahead with their programme to play. Um, so the FA themselves have caused themselves a real headache by postponing that round. Um, and then you get the knock-on effect of another three games being postponed this round. All of a sudden, you know, you've got 13 games that you need to look to make up in a truncated season that's six weeks shorter than it normally is. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, Smithy, no disrespect to the Queen, but she was a 96-year-old woman. Surely, if you were running things at the FA, at the Premier League, you have a contingency plan for when she does pass away and you know how you're going to handle it. But they were having emergency meetings left, right and centre. It was like they hadn't even considered it was a possibility. So I think administratively there are some big questions to be asked about the FA and about the EPL. I agree. And Peter Crouch summed it up. Um, and I, I saw an article where he said, listen, why? Why have you stopped playing football? Because here we have the Nations game. Uh, it's the best supported game in England. Um, there is the opportunity for every game and every fan in a very public scene to be able to uh, acknowledge and respect and pay tribute to the Queen with uh, black armbands, with um, you know minutes of silence, with rounds of rapturous applause, etc. Could have done it, um, and it would have been spectacular at every ground. And I think Peter Crouch is spot on there. Yeah, well, I think so. And you know, you, you know how tribal sport is, particularly football in the UK, Smitty. I mean, what an opportunity that would have been to actually bring those fans together, you know, for, mm. for, for, for something, you know. Um, mourning doesn't mean that you have to sit on your bum and do nothing. Um, and I've talked to a couple of friends over in the UK and they said it's almost, it feels like it's been forced on them. Um, you didn't have any options. You didn't have any, any opportunity to do anything else. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, you know, even you go back and you look at the last precedent, and I know this was some time ago, but I was reading about uh, when uh, Queen Elizabeth II's father passed away, which I think was 1953. Uh, you know, three days later there was a full day. Uh, there was a full program of football, um, so mm. there was a precedent for them to go ahead and do it. And yeah, like I say, they've they've caused themselves a headache. And who's going to ultimately pay that price is the players, because they're the ones that are going to end up probably at some point having to play maybe four games in eight days. Right, OK, uh, let's uh, look at what's coming up at home, and it is exciting, and in Brisbane, of course, on Thursday, and that, the All-Whites uh, against the Socceroos. It marks 100 years since the first Trans-Tasman clash in 1922. Uh, this is, I, I think this is going to be outstanding, and, and what else is added to this, of course, well, is the fact that uh, Winston Reid is saying goodbye, and we're saying goodbye to him. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing to think that Winston Reid has only got 32 caps for the All-Whites, you know. I mean, um, uh, that says a bit about how many games the All-Whites have played, but it also says a lot about his injury record. You know, um, when he when he got that injury at West Ham, it really took him a long time to recover. He kept getting setbacks and things. So, um, yeah, it's great to see him go out here at home at Eden Park in front of what will hopefully be a sellout crowd. I, last I heard, they had they'd sold, I think, 25,000 tickets. It was yesterday, so Eden Park going to have a great crowd in it it's going to be a, a fantastic occasion you know and Smithy you know we look at the Bledisloe Cuppers this weekend um, we mm. also have you know the Chapel Hadley series you know why aren't we playing Australia more in football 
Uh, they're right there. We have these six international windows every year where you can organise international games. Not all of those windows are going to be full of qualifying games. There, there is room for friendlies. And at the moment, you know, I think the teams are pretty evenly matched. Um, you could argue that, talking to John Davidson, who's an Australian uh, journalist working in the UK, he covers uh, Super League for, for back in Australia, and he also follows the, English, uh, the Australian footballers playing in the UK. You know, and he said, last night when we were talking that if you put these teams together on paper, he said New Zealand probably have a slightly better side and, uh, you know, guys playing in, in better leagues and I think the big difference maker could be Chris Wood up front because that's really where the Australians lack at the moment. They don't have a Viduka or a Kuehl, they don't have a Cahill, they don't have someone putting the ball in the back of the net for them at, on a regular basis at the moment. So I think Chris Wood could be a difference maker and I think um, the, the two intriguing ties, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how these games play out and, you know, just how uh, what the intensity is. I mean, you've got to remember that Australia are going to a World Cup and they've, they've selected a, uh, an extra large squad so that Graham Arnold can look at players. So there are World Cup spots on the line for these Aussies. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great matchup, mate. Really looking forward to it. And, you know, hopefully Winston Reid gets sent off with a win at Eden Park on Sunday. I thought you were going to say, I hope he gets sent off there for a second. I was going to say, oh, Ricardo. <laughs> uh, here's, here's another little scenario, another little side issue here. A couple of good results for the All Whites. Uh, would be very interesting in terms of where Danny Hay sits with contract renewals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, if, he, if he can get positive results here, you know, puts him in the box seat. I know Danny has been critical of um, a lack of foresight and forward planning from New Zealand football for the All Whites. Uh, I think at this stage, obviously when the leagues all um, suspend for the World Cup, there's about a 10-day, two-week window when that happens to the World Cup kicking off. So there's opportunities to play some games there. And at this stage, as far as I understand it, uh, the All Whites don't have any. Um, and, you know, you're talking about the, the opportunity to be playing for example, teams in Australia's group who want to play teams that play a similar style, and we will play a similar style to them. So, you know, there's opportunities for New Zealand to potentially play the Danish or play the French or someone like that in a um, in a in a World Cup uh, warm-up game. And at this stage, those things aren't there. So, if Danny Hay can get a couple of decent results against the Aussies, I think it puts him in the box seat. Um, I think it'd be a massive mistake if New Zealand football let Danny Hay walk away from this team because I think he's built it really, really well. He's put his own um, stamp on it. Uh, they're playing a, a very good brand of football. They're able to to adjust. They're able to pivot and play different ways for different occasions. And uh, I think he's a really clever manager and losing him would be uh, would be terrible at this point in time, given what he's built. And given that, you know, next come next World Cup, Oceania has a direct... Um, uh, qualification. So, you know, we win Oceania, we're in the World Cup, we don't have to have a playoff. And uh, surely that uh, is worth investing in and, you know, giving Danny Hay what he wants to get the All-Whites to the biggest stage of all again. Ricardo, we're doing a, a Mount Rushmore today and, you know, that, well, that's all about your top... Well, this is our top four sporting arenas um, that we've uh, experienced or um, our preferred options. Uh, you Old Trafford, one, two, three, or four, or have you got someone else in, or somewhere else in mind? Well, I mean, I haven't been there, to be to be fair, but there's a couple that I've always wanted to go to and I think are, are very storied and, and deserve conversation. Um, one of those is the Maracana in Brazil. 
um, holds over 100,000 people. Uh, it was built, I think, for the 19, 1950 World Cup, from memory. Um, it was a, a colossus of a stadium. They rebuilt it for the last World Cup that they had in Brazil as well. So I think the Maracana um, deserves to be in there. And the other one, which is an absolute theatre, and a mate of mine was there recently, actually. He did a tour, posted a lot of photos, posted some video uh, and that is the San Siro in um, Milan, where AC Milan and Internacional play. Um, fantastic stadium. It's hosted World Cup final. It's hosted European Cup finals. It's, of course, hosted week in, week out, two of the greatest sides of Italian football. So I think those two definitely have to be in the conversation. Ricardo Ball, as always, uh, fantastic to catch up with you. I imagine you're on deck in some capacity on Sunday. Yeah, I'm going to be there uh, as MC slash ground announcer for New Zealand football at Eden Park. So I'll be there, mate, working. Uh, really, it's just an opportunity to get a free ticket, right? I mean, I'd, I'd do it for nothing, yeah. let's be honest. <coughs> that, does that mean you're splashing out with your very best black T-shirt? <laughs> yeah, mate, I'll, I might even iron it. Might even iron it. <laughs> Ricardo, you're a legend. Thank you very much for your time, mate, uh, looking at, at uh, football around the world. Cheers. Uh, enjoy Sunday in particular. I know uh, you, you've been waiting for it for a long time. Thank you, mate. Cheers, Smithy. Will do. Cheers. Ricardo Ball there uh, with us with uh, all the information uh, on the EPL, which has a, uh, a window, an international window this weekend, and uh, they'll get back into it in the first weekend in October. 10.19 panel shortly. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Uh, Guy Havelt and uh, James Regan will be the panellists uh, this morning as uh, we uh, use up... uh, a little bit of uh, airtime talking uh, some really good issues and uh, there are some pertinent ones today, Guy Havelt, beginning with Darcy Swain, who faces the judiciary today. Um, what do you think the outcome will be? I mean, surely we're not going to see him at Eden Park Saturday night. Uh, no, we won't see him at Eden Park. I think that's pretty obvious. What do I think the outcome will be? I think the outcome... I think what I think the outcome will be is what I is different to what I hope the outcome will be. I suspect he'll get somewhere around four to six weeks. I think he should get a few months on the sidelines. I thought that was a disgraceful act of sportsmanship, uh, a disgraceful uh, act full stop, really. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind. You could see he lined up Quintu Pyre's knee, he lined up his leg, uh, and he went for it. Uh, and, and when a player has absolutely no defence, in a situation like that, I just think it's a, it's something that should be punished as severely as they possibly can. I see a couple of people have suggested that he should be out for as long as Quintu Pyra is out for. I would support that. I don't think that'll ever happen, but I would support that happening. I just thought it was pure, yeah, utterly, utterly terrible. Well, I don't want to um, take anything away from Quintu Pyra's ability here. Uh, I don't want to, you know, because he is a fine player and I think we're going to see the best of him at international level. God willing that his knee recovers to its full capacity and it just might not. Just let's say it, ho- uh, hope so. Uh, but here for me, Guy, uh, had this been, had he lined up Adi Savia's left knee and taken that out, um, would we be even more over the top about this? Yeah, I hadn't actually thought of that. I think we probably would be. Uh, if it, let, let's say go back, you know, ten years or whatever, and if it was Richie McCaw or Dan Carter, uh, mm. you know, people would be wanting to 
bloody burn Rugby Australia down. And that's how mad people would be. It shouldn't matter, though, who the player is. If you are, are doing that sort of act on the park, and as I say, I feel it was deliberate. If you are doing that sort of act on the park, uh, to me, you need to be handed the harshest possible penalty that you can get. That stuff should be nowhere near a sports field. Uh, and it should not matter who was on the receiving end. I think you're right, though. If it was a a one of our greatest of all time, so to speak, uh, then I think people would be absolutely flying off the rails about it, which they they are to an extent. Uh, but it probably mm. probably would be even stronger. James Regan, good morning to you. Where do you sit on Darcy Swain and what he might cop today? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, Guy. Um, yeah, Guy was absolutely right. I mean, the the first look at it was was bad and then the replays where it saw him lining him up where his knee was positioned Quinn, I think Aaron Smith said um, he was a sitting duck which was absolutely right, I mean it was it was just awful and then everything that's kind of happened afterwards and you know, the All Blacks themselves clearly look like they're, they're quite annoyed with what's happened so they'll be wanting a lengthy ban and it has to be it's not like they, they're using them to maybe make an example of going, you know, we want to get this out of the game. If you do this, this is what you're going to get three or four weeks. Like, this is just a brainless, stupid challenge. And, and he should miss however long, definitely the rest of the year and maybe into next year as well. I'd love to know if he's gone and sought Quintipire out and kind of apologised. I'd hope that he has, given he's a professional and, and you know, he's injured himself a professional in a pretty serious way. And you're right, like, We've seen injuries like this where the players come back and they're not quite the same, or it takes them a long time to get to where they were. And it's also cost Quinn a place in this week's team as well, given what um, has happened with David Havili. So it's shocking and it's, it, it needs to be dealt with appropriately because hopefully then it'll, it'll stop another player from doing the same sort of stupid thing. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I I totally agree with that. And let's not forget he was uh, the man with the headbutt too in the series against uh, England and copped a couple of weeks for that. So he is a previous offender, there's no doubt about it. Uh, we'll stay with you if I can, uh, James, because Joe Parker is talking very, very positively. I've never heard a boxer that doesn't, but um, about this, this uh, upcoming fight, and it's not far away now with Joe Joyce. How are you seeing it as it grows closer? Yeah, yeah, it's been really interesting the sort of things that have come out of the Parker camp this time around. Joe is notoriously doesn't like to talk a lot, likes to, you know, let his boxing do the talking and is, you know, boxing's nice guy, which is fantastic. But that seems to have a little bit of an extra edge to him this time around, doesn't he? And the way he's talking and I know Andy Lee, his coach, is is really, really positive in the way that he's looking. He's looking fast, he's looking if you look at him, he looks in fantastic shape. And technically, he's a much better boxer than I think Joe Joyce is. Joe Joyce is powerful. He's got the height and reach advantage. He's a little bit older. Um, but as a boxer, I know Andy Lee has said they're worlds apart. Joe Parker is, is a much better boxer. So if it comes down to that, it should be a really good night for Joe Parker. If it's a kind of a slugfest, then he might have an issue. But... He's got a lot more tools in the bag than I think Joe Joyce does. And there's a lot of confidence coming from him, which is great to see. OK, uh, we'll take a, a very short break for the 10.30 news. When we come back, might look at a bit of uh, netball, uh, the, controversy, uh, the controversy around netball at the moment uh, with Guy Havelt and James Regan, plus uh, All Black team to be named. 
NRL um, and uh, cricket's new rules too. And the T20 side named yesterday. Plenty to talk about uh, very shortly. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Guy Havelt and uh, James Regan uh, with us this morning. And what a pickle netball's in over this uh, tiny Jamison uh, thing. Guy, what do you make of this? I think it's a little bit embarrassing, to be honest with you. I don't think it's Netball New Zealand's fault at all. Uh, I think it's a bit embarrassing for for, uh, Jamaica Netball, uh, Commonwealth Games, silver medalists, obviously, and and in terms of on the court anyway, making a real resurgence and a real um, surge for that top spot in World Netball. Uh, They looked very good at at the Commonwealth Games, but then they come here, um, well, they come here, they, they, they make their way here, they try and make their way here, they eventually get here uh, with not many players uh, available to pick from with a 38-year-old in Carla Borrego who made her, uh, well, not debut, but played at the 2003 World Cup and retired mm. six years ago. They have to bring her in from Australia. It's all a bit of a shambles, and I actually feel sorry for Netball New Zealand. It would have been a great series for them. They have sold out tonight's first test, which is great. Although, in saying that, if you've bought a ticket to that, hoping to see the best Jamaican side up against the best Silver Fern side, you might be feeling a little bit uh, shortchanged for what you're going to get. Yeah, a a real shame, uh, I think, for everyone from a New Zealand point of view involved in this. And it just feels like maybe uh, Jamaican netball didn't have everything sorted in time, uh, which I think is is hugely disappointing for all involved. Yeah, I I think it's... It's almost farcical, and as you say, uh, we can't really blame New Zealand netball for it. They've, they had it all sorted out. It was been on the agenda for quite some time. Uh, when these passports are held up somewhere in Washington, for God's sake, about a netball series being played in Hamilton and Auckland, God only knows uh, all the details that are involved in that. Uh, let's, uh, James, uh, look perhaps at uh, the NRL this weekend. Uh, teams are out for the preliminary finals. Uh, who'd you pick? Uh, Cowboys, Eels, Panthers, Rabbitohs. Do you think it'll go the the favoured way with the two teams that have, uh, of course, um, you know, had the the week off with the with the, the buy as such? Yeah, it, it's interesting, isn't it? I think it's a wide open competition, with the exception of probably the Panthers, who have been the the bench line, the ben- the benchmark for for a couple of years now. Um, I'd have to go Eels in that first game against the Cowboys. I think, even though. The Cowboys had the week off. The Eels just look red hot. And if, if they can get going like we know they can, and they've been a bit hot and cold, but if they can get going, I think they'll win that one fairly comfortably. And then that uh, the Panthers-South game, I think it's fascinating. If, if South can play without as many errors as they did last week, and if they can get it together, and Latrell Mitchell has a good game, and, and Cody Walker gets things going for them, um, then... Then there could be an upset. I think Penrith will be um, will be ready. They'll have enjoyed the week off. They'll have all their stars um, ready to go. But there, there could be an, a bit of an upset there. But I'd still go. I'd still go Penrith to go all the way as well and get back to back premierships. Is that how you see it, Guy, or would you prefer perhaps the Cowboys? Uh, look, Smithy, I, I haven't watched a huge amount of NRL this year for various reasons. Uh, but from what I have seen, I, I think it's going to be very hard to beat Penrith. Uh, I think they'll make the grand final. Uh, and the other one, I, well, Parramatta have had a, have a, have had a pretty good uh, last few weeks or last you know months or so, two months or so. So 
So I think they. I think it might be a Penrith Parramatta final, and as I say, I think it'll be very hard to beat Penrith to win the title. Okay, so uh, you both agree on that. Right, let's uh, look at uh, the ICC's new rules which have uh, come out and uh, two of the most uh, interesting ones for me, uh, the mancad and uh, the saliva on the cricket ball. Uh, I can see the saliva kind of things with the health issues we've been through in the last few years and I've always been found that a bit dodgy and I've always been grateful I've had gloves on. But uh, here's the other thing to consider, Guy Havel, with your, um, your upbringing, your, you know, your considered cultural background, uh, and uh, you know the way that you, uh, of course, do things, probably to the letter of the law. Would you consider a man cad now with your upbringing? Probably, probably, man. I, 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 I'm above board in all aspects of my life. So you don't worry about that. Um, uh, yeah, I would. I would. I, I, I've got no problems with it. I think it's a great little part of the game. Um, I, I think if a batsman is trying to get a blatant. Uh, almost unfair advantage. Fair game, hundred percent. I don't think it should happen all the time. I, I, I think if a batsman is, you know, you know, like a, a couple of centimeters out of their crease, then I think it's a bit rich of the bowler to try that. But if a batsman is so persistently trying to get that much of an advantage, what's the issue? Um, I, I think it's totally fair game. Good on the ICC. Um, as I say, I don't want to. I don't want to see it every game. But every now and again, when it happens, um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a fan. James, what about you? Would you would you deliberately mancad somebody, or would you give them a warning? Yeah, I, I think a warning's fair, um, but I'm absolutely all for it. I, I think it's an amazing part of the game, and it's we were talking about it this morning. It's both teams, or both batsman and bowler, trying to get a little bit of an edge, right? Which is what sport and especially top level sport is all about. If you feel like you can steal a few inches of the batsman and and get down the other end quicker by getting out of your crease, fair game. But if you're a bowler who's cunning enough to, to see that they're doing it and you warn them and then they keep doing it and you can you can run them out, then <laughs> that's amazing. And it's it's so much better because it's so controversial. So I'm so glad that the ICC have kept this rule because it'll still divide people, and it's one of those rare things where a bit of divisiveness and a bit of controversy is actually good for the game because everyone everyone loves a man cat, or they either love it or they really don't like it. So I think it's good. I think it's a great weapon for the bowler to potentially have, given how much dominance we see batters have at the moment as well with, with everything that kind of works in their favour. So I think it's a great little all power to them. Yeah, I you know I don't mind it. Actually, I've never been a huge fan of it. I've seen it done. I've never been a victim of it. But I, I don't mind it in white ball cricket and T20 cricket in particular, where you're looking to actually crib ground and get to the other end with an unfair advantage. Don't like to see it in a test match. I really wouldn't like to see it in a test match. But that's just the old fashioned me coming out. Uh, I have felt there will be an All Black naming tomorrow as usual. Uh, what are you expecting? I mean, this is a test match the All Blacks need to win for the uh, the rugby championship as such, and we're still not in a situation where we can take liberties because whilst we're a record is slightly better, it's not been convincing. Yeah, just quickly on on that point that you just raised, uh, I think you're right about the test match arena. I, I think I don't think it should be there. Anyway, moving on to to the rugby, uh, I, I, it sounds like Sam Kane might be missing. Uh, might be back, sorry. Uh, might be missing this match after his HIA or his, his small head knock. Uh, and Artie Savia will be back. I think that's 
good for the All Blacks in, in the sense that Tavia comes back. Obviously, a bit of a, a bit of a question mark around what they're going to do in the midfield, um, and a few accounts that they might put Geordie Barrett in the midfield uh, and then put Bowden Barrett at fullback. Uh, well, you know how I feel about the fullback situations, and I don't think I need to spell that out anymore. Um, but uh, Geordie Barrett in the midfield, why wouldn't you have an actual midfield? I mean, I don't. This, they might not do this, but that is the rumour that is going around. Why would you not put an actual midfielder in the midfield? I know they're a little bit short on those stocks, but when, if they are going to have Roger Tuivasa-Shek as an opportunity to play in next year's World Cup, when are they going to give him a chance? I mean, you've got mm. the Bledisloe Cup wrapped up. You, I know the rugby championship's kind of on the line and that sort of thing, but I would have thought you would put a midfielder in the midfield. I can't stand... Um, putting players out of position, particularly in an important position like the midfield. Uh, Geordie Barrett might do a decent job, but put a midfielder in there, um, leave Geordie Barrett at fullback if you're that desperate to play him at fullback every week. But as I say, I'd love to see Will Jordan given a chance. Um, and I don't think Bowden Barrett, uh, I think he's a first five, um, and that's where he should play as well. So, yeah, that's what I would do. I'd have Roger Tuivasa-Shek making his debut. Uh, and as you well know, I would have Will Jordan at fullback. Yeah, I know you'd have Will Jordan at fullback. Um, and just finally, James Regan, uh, what about your options? Yeah, on Sam Kane, I think it might be actually a good week for him to get a bit of a break as well. If he is a little bit, um, you know, kind of 50 50, they'll, they'll obviously tread with caution given it's a head knock. But given what he's kind of endured this year and the weight he's carried going into the Northern Tour, it might actually be a good thing for him to have a week off. I agree. You've got to put Roger in. Like, if you want to have him as an option for the World Cup, then a home game at Eden Park is home ground where the Bledisloe Cup is already locked up. Give him a start or, or bring him off the bench, whatever you do. But for me, he's got to be in there because it is still a pressure situation. They don't want to lose to Australia. Maybe that's part of the thinking if they do put Geordie there is, you know, well, we really don't want to be the first team in, in how many years to lose to Australia at Eden Park. But if you want to have him as an option, then you've got to give him a run and you've got to see how he goes. And We know he's an amazing uh, athlete, he's an amazing asset, and if you want to put him in there, then, then now's the chance to do it. So, Guy Havelt, uh, being the, uh, uh, the magnificent journalist that you are, and of course, James, I put you in that category as well, Guy Havelt, uh, are you free being at both days at Eden Park or what? I have to work on Sunday, so unfortunately I would have loved to have gone to the All-Whites against Australia. I, I think this is a fixture that they should try and do every year, uh, and I think a lot of sports should try and do every year in the in the trans-Tasman element I'm talking about. I think we should try and make a, a kind of annual trans-Tasman sporting um, festival as, as often as we can. So I'd love to see the All-Whites play Australia annually i would have loved to have been there this weekend i hope they get a good crowd i won't be i will be going to the rugby on saturday though uh because i obviously i can get there uh even though i am working on saturday i won't be able to get there for the black ferns but i will be able to get there for the all blacks i'm working on saturday so uh yeah i, I will get there for for that uh, and as i say I, I wish i could go for for the football i think it's awesome that we've got a little bit of a a, a sporting kind of weekend uh spread across two days uh, a lot of chat about Eden Park. I think it'll hold up very well. They they do it excellently um, there, Blair Christensen and his team. Uh, and obviously they've had two or what, three, two, two days, three days of NRL 9s there before. So I don't see why they couldn't have three games of sport there as well. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be fantastic. So get along if you can, 100%.
Okay, uh, Guy Havelt and uh, James Regan have been uh, great on the panel this morning. Thanks, guys. Really do appreciate it. We'll have another panel uh, around 10.20 tomorrow morning as well. It is uh, coming up to 10.44. Uh, we shall be uh, uh, having your text next, uh, and also we'll be talking to uh, Louis Herman Watt and a visit to the TAB, all before 11 o'clock. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, uh, Paddy's come in and said, uh, Hey, Smithy, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, Alan Alatoa has uh, come out with, He's a good guy, defence for Darcy Swain. It wasn't an intentional act. Yeah, right. Yeah, right, Paddy. Yeah, absolutely right. And I'm not sure uh, Alan Alatoa... Uh, and his reference will have any weight when it comes to the judiciary this afternoon in Australia. In fact, it should not. Um, hey, Smithy, on another note, on time-wasting, I never get how a striker scores in football then spends an age doing a celebration, but if he scores in the 90th minute to level the game, he picks the ball out of the back of the net and runs back to halfway. Uh, there are double standards with that, Aaron, and there are double standards in uh, all time-wasting as well, and that's why it's, uh, it's always pretty hard for any one team uh, to be consistently moaning about uh, the play of other teams because everyone indulges in it to, uh, to suit the, the particular situation of the match as far as they're concerned. Um, uh, Aaron goes on to say, I assume added time um, on it doesn't count for a celebration. Well, it does. It does. Referees are, are not stupid in that regard. They do notice that these uh, one, two-minute celebrations where they take their shirts off, run around the park, uh, go to their home crowd and, and celebrate in front of them, uh, and use up a minute or two of time before they get back to halfway. Don't worry, they, they will be reminded of that by the opposition team, but they'll also take note of that. And that's why football have got it right in terms of that uh, number that's held up as the minimum time added on. The minimum, the rest of it, is set to the referee's discretion. And uh, if you're a football fan and you, you really know what's going on, uh, on most occasions you'll see when a referee does add on time on top of, if you look back you can see why uh, he's justified in doing that. 10.51 here. We'll be with Louis and Pip shortly. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Well, Louis Herman Watt uh, joins us now uh, because uh, about an hour and a half time uh, there will be uh, racing at the Matter Matter. Race 1 uh, due to go then. Um, but race 3, where all the talk was yesterday, I'm not quite sure about this morning, but uh, they have uh, really come in for a wild night, uh, Louis. According to me, it's just a touch over money back uh, in terms of $2.10. What's that? Did you did you set your alarm, Smithy? Did you get a piece of it at about five past four yesterday? I've included it in my multi, I can promise you that. Yeah, well, how gets this no-deduction situation? Well, we've backed it at 3.30, it's gone into $2.80 like that, and now 70 cents skim thanks to the scratchings, but we'll get the full price. Unreal. Really, really good stuff from tab.co.nz. Uh, so wild night. Look, just looks progressive, has trialled super, big engine, a little bit untapped, the Vambra gelding, uh, great group of owners involved, nice barrier, OP on, Whatever it does today, it'll be a better horse for it on a heavy track. Like it, at the same time, if you told me it got rolled on a heavy nine at Matamasa on a Wednesday, it's not the most insane thing I've ever heard. So whatever it does today, it'll be better for it. But looks like it's got a big engine and a big future. This horse, so very exciting. And across the card in general, um, there's some nice enough types going to step out. But as I say, with that, those with that rain that's coming to Matamata today, which Baz has brought home with him from the UK, um, I was hoping he'd bring a bit of a heat wave, but uh, it looks like. 
like there's going to be some tough going, so you really want some heavy track form at the end of the card today because it'll start to slosh up nice and good, Smithy. This is Royal Highness making an appearance at the Matamata Raceway, do you know? Oh, he'd have to be. He'd have to be. Just, he'd have to be. He's tipped us one in the first. He reckons the speed of Valor runner uh, Palisatopian in the first down the bottom of the book's a, a nice chance, but... No, knowing Baz, he'd struggle to keep himself away from a beer and a punt on a Wednesday in Matamata, wouldn't he? Especially if it's within a driver and a wedge from his front gate, Louie, I think it's fair <laughs> to say. Right. Um, have a great afternoon, mate. Uh, we're going to catch up with uh, Pip Morris now from the TAV. G'day, Pip, and you've got uh, a busy day today. Uh, you've got uh, Palmerston North with 11 races, and plus there's a, a bit of sport on offer as well to have a, a look at. Good morning, Smithy. It certainly is just the 11 race card, as you mentioned, but the dog in race number eight, I'm not willing to drop him yet. I view Toby can get boosted onto the TAB. Uh, quite like him on the sports side of things. Of course, the NRL prelim finals on the Cowboys match. There's been $1,000 on them head-to-head at $1.71. The head-to-head betting's pretty even there, Smithy, with the Eels and the Cowboys. Same with the winning team in margin. Either team, 1-12, to 12, looks to be the favoured options. Yesterday, there was a big bet coming for Penrith. 20000 put on them head-to-head at $1.36 to take out their game against the Bunnies, and which will be a brilliant clash that grand final rematch and just on the All Blacks as well there's been a thousand dollars put on them to cover the seven and a half at a dollar thirty seven there's been a thousand put on the Australian match result at 420 and 56 percent of the head-to-head money is on the All Blacks and we've got a really nice promotion too around the Bledisloe Cup you can bet on the right side of history a hundred thousand dollars in bonus bets to give away Back the winning team in either the match result or winning team in margin markets for Saturday's game and go in the draw to win one of 21 $5,000 bonus bets. That's one for each consecutive year that the All Blacks have beaten the Wallabies in Aotearoa. And you can check out all the information on the TNCs on the Punch and Sound Smithy. Yeah. 14.76am in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, it is time to talk about uh, one of the great loves of my life, and uh, that is golf, of course, uh, and it's so pertinent at the moment because this weekend sees the President's Cup uh, take place at Quail Hollow Golf Course, which is in Charlotte, North Carolina, and this, of course, between Team USA and the Internationals. Uh, but it doesn't include the likes of uh, Cameron Smith, of course, and a, no, a number of others due to their defection to uh, LIV Golf. And when we talk golf, uh, we have to talk to David Bolesky about it because he knows it all. And you can check it out on Twitter at Deep Dive Golf. It's, uh, time, uh, it's also a golf analyst uh, for Win Daily Sports. Win Daily Sports. Yes, we'll talk more about that with David as well as we uh, get on with this chat um, right now. But first of all, uh, pretty exciting time for golf, and uh, bearing in mind, uh, David, there have been a few defections for obvious reasons. For me, it doesn't take too much gloss off it. Good morning, Smithy. Yeah, good to be back. Look, yeah, it's an exciting week, um, President's Cup. It's great having the, the team format, and it's always a good watch. Um, I do think in terms of the defections, you're right in terms of the fact that it definitely affects the international team more just because of the depth 
of players that Trevor Immelman had in terms of selecting, losing the likes of Cam Smith, who would have quite easily been the best player on the international team, and then Joaquin Neiman as well, who's um, obviously had a stellar year as well, winning um, events like the Genesis and the you know, losing those two players really does affect the strength of this international team. Whereas the United States team, when I look at it, you know, losing players like Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau, even though those are big names within the golfing world, both of them haven't won in the last 18 months. So actually losing two of those, you know, very polarising um, personalities and who who aren't necessarily in, in the best form, I think in some ways actually doesn't hurt Davis Love's team, but um, it actually um, assists it. So, look, it's going to be a really interesting um, competition and looking forward to seeing how it unfolds over the next four days. Tell us about uh, the format for this. Is it exactly the same as the Ryder Cup? No, so it's a little bit different. We've got um, a first day with um, five games of foursomes, so that's essentially um, alternate, uh, sorry, not alternate shot, um, alternate shots. So going off the the tee will be one player, and then will alternate. Another will hit the iron shot, and then um, another will take the first part, and so on and so forth. So um, each of the the teams have got um, a possibility of um, um, of you know, different combinations of players that they can select and then, then put up against against each other in those formats. Um, then we're moving to, to a four ball um, the, the second day. Um, and then the the uh, the Saturday, sorry, we've got two different um, four balls, four again, and then final day you've got a full um, 12 singles, so all players will be out on the course um, on that last day competing with each other. Look, I, I, I do think that the, the weight, heavily sits in favour of the United States team in terms of the quality of the players. And their, their overall world golf ranking is 11.7. Um, so that's their average player world ranking, which is actually lower than the best player in the international team, which is Hideki Matsuyama. So the, the odds really are stacked against the international team um, at this stage. And, and the hope for Immelman is that they can at least just be in contention come final day going into the singles um, and then um, look if, if they're you know only two or three points behind say um, going into that singles on the final day anything can happen because at the end of the day you know there are there are still golfers out on the golf course and um, match play does tend to be a little bit more volatile um, in terms of um, outcomes than say a, a four-day stroke play event. David, tell us uh, a wee bit about uh, Quail Hollow. Uh, does it possess really a, a market home advantage for the USA? Because if I look at the President's uh, Cup team uh, in terms of the internationals, pretty much all of them play on the PGA regularly as well. Um, is there, in terms of the, the actual course itself, or is it more the atmosphere and more the fact that they've won it the last, what, nine consecutive times? It does, and look, I mean, Davis Love also has the advantage if he gets to set up this golf course exactly how he wants it. Um, so I was reading through the Greenkeeper um, notes yesterday, and, and there's an interesting point here in saying um, the course is not going to be overseated as it was at the Wells Fargo, uh, which is typically played in May, and the course should accommodate long ball hitters. It will not be as penal when balls are hit offline. I also see that they've trimmed the rough down to just 1.75 inches. So Davis Love has really constructed this golf course for those long drivers who can get a little bit more errant off the tee, but who can really push the ball out there, and that does play in, in terms of the United States um, team's favour. Um, look, it, it, it can be a really tough course, um, Quail Hollow. 
um, and, and it is incredibly long already. So having that that rushore, I think, um, does give a, give another edge to um, the United States side. And as you mentioned, obviously um, having a having a home advantage and, and having the crowds um, on your side is going to be a, um, a big edge for them as well. Um, it, it does almost feel, though, as well, it feels like with this international team and, and United States, you know, because this, this love golf threat has come into the game of professional golf this year, that regardless, there's still some camaraderie between these two teams. You know, it really is still, um, you know, the... the the good guys of the tour who have who've stayed loyal and, and stuck with um, you know the structure of golf as it's existed for, for decades, um, you know it, it does feel like there's still going to be some camaraderie and, and um, companionship between those two sides. So it'll be interesting to see how that element um, develops as well. Right, let's uh, look at uh, the internationals. <clears throat> we won't go through every uh, one of the twelve players, but uh, I do spot uh, a real Asian influence. Um, uh, with uh, Sun Jm, Siwoo Kim, uh, Ji Young Kim, and of course KH Lee, who's had a good couple of years on the PGA, so uh, there is a strong uh, Asian influence within that group. There is, yeah. And look, I mean, Sun Jm is the the stud of that group. He's had a fantastic year. He's a great driver of the ball. He drives it long and straight. Um, I, I suspect, just given the depth of the international team, that Sung Jae is going to have to play all five games um, across the, the weekend. That's just a given. He is going to have to go out every single time. Um, I, I think that you pair him potentially with someone like Tom Kim, who's this, this young guy who's just come through and just absolutely blocks the tour since um, arriving and won basically um, when he had to, to make the, the FedEx Cup players and uh, playoffs and secure his card for, for the year. So um, I think that's an interesting pairing of having um, a rookie like Tom Kim and, and kind of a seasoned veteran in, in Sung Jae Um Siwoo Kim baffles me. Look, look, I do think there was a missed opportunity for Immelman in terms of a couple of these selections, namely Siwoo Kim and then also Christian Bezadenhout, the two weakest um, players on the international team. You know, when we look at what Quail Hollow requires, it does require that that long distance off the tee really does give you an advantage. So if we look at some of the names that have been left off this team, um, someone like Lucas Herbert, who's an incredible driver of the golf ball, has got great distance, and he's also a fantastic putter, um, and he's played very well in match play situations before. And, of course, our, our countryman, Ryan Fox, who was left off this team as well, I thought this course really set up well for Ryan Fox, and I would have much rather have seen a Ryan Fox-Lucas Herbert pairing um, going out in that, that final um final pair than Siwoo Kim and Christian Pizadenhout, um, just in terms of the, the strength of their actual squad. Right, um, and one of the interesting things to uh, talk about in terms of these team selections and, of course, the possibility going forward of uh, live golfers being uh, perhaps re-included is um, the OWGR recognition, which is the official World Golf Rankings recognition. Where are we sitting with this at this point, David? So my understanding is they've made an application to build golf rankings. That that is not a quick process. Um, it, it typically they they require a tour to exist for at least a year before they can get world ranking points. Um, but typically that process does take sort of eighteen months to two years generally to actually occur. So so there's you know some issues there in terms of the timeline because I know that that uh, the players yesterday have all signed a letter basically pleading to to have world golf points um, included. There's some real issues that Liz is going to have to come overcome if they are going to get world ranking points. The, the main one for me is that they have to have a method to qualify. You know, at the moment, there is no clear way that a player can get onto this tour. 
you know, nobody can tell me how today I can go and play lift golf. I mean, first I need to be a whole hell of a lot better than golf than, uh, than I currently am. Um, but you know, there there is no clear qualifying method. There's no categories, no exemptions. It's kind of just they pick players who they like, sign them to these exorbitant contracts, and invite them onto the tour. So there really needs to be some clarity about how do people get onto the tour? How do they come off the tour? Um, there's also some issues in regards to that in terms of, you know, they've played, paid players like Cameron Smith $150 million. Now, if Cameron Smith's game completely folds and he plays terribly, they've got exemptions within his contract that, that he basically will never be relegated. So there's some issues there as well in terms of the integrity and transparency of the tour. Um, of course, there's no cut of these events either, and there's, there are 54 holes as standard. There, there are some exemptions in terms of events on the PGA Tour, for example, the end-of-year FedEx Cup playoffs. When you get to the Tour Championship, it's, it's 30 players in the last event, um, and there's no cut. But, of course, they've earned that right to play in that final um, based on their performance over the entire year rather than just being a regular season event. Um, and, and the final one is just the, the size of the fields are too small. You know, there's only 48 players in these events for, for live. Um, you know, golf is a volatile game. And so when you've got a small small field like this, you know, someone can easily pop up into, say, a top 10, whereas in like a full, full four-day stroke play event with a cut, with 154 players, you know, they might have struggled to make the top 30. So, um, look, they've, they've still got some real issues in terms of the format. Um, but for me, that that opportunity of how do people qualify, how do people get onto the tour, is there some transparency around that process is probably the biggest one that they're going to have to overcome. David, Cam Smith uh, winning his uh, LIV start at the weekend without too much of a ripple in terms of the world media, etc., uh, because, of course, they still have no real TV platform. Uh, where have, uh, is Greg Norman and co um, progressing with this? I saw an article where he said there is about four TV uh, TV companies uh, competing for it. Haven't seen too much more. Well, I mean, Greg has to say that, right? Like, he has to, he has to try and sell his, his product and spin it in whichever way he has. Um, the, the, there's one broadcaster that's, I guess, been spoken about kind of um, quite liberally in terms of the most likely to sign it. Um, the, the the problem is is that they're not getting viewers at the moment. People are not watching this product. So I mean, you you mentioned that Cam Smith won this this latest tournament. You know, they've had a big signing in Cam Smith. They've had a big signing in Wacking Neiman. Their only competition this week in terms of the tournaments was um, the Fortinet Championship. Now the Fortinet. Last week was rain-affected. The players had to go off in the morning, um, and it finished a lot earlier as well. So essentially, this was the only golf that was on at the time in the afternoon, and the tournament had its lowest viewership um, yet of all the of all the tournaments that they've run. I mean, the, there was 95,000 people on YouTube watching this for free around the world. Now, this is this is a free product. You can watch this for free anywhere in the world, and there was only 95,000 people watching. Now, to put that in perspective, a standard, regular, run-of-the-mill PGA Tour event typically will get 2 million viewers for, say, NBC in the USA alone, let alone the fact that the PGA Tour broadcasts in the entire world. So people are just simply not watching this product. They're not getting the viewership that they need. So, look, it is a, it is a big threat for live. They need to get people watching this because they don't have people viewing. They will not get sponsors and they will not be able to sustain this tour spending, you know, they've spent $2 billion, $2 billion 
on five events. It's a huge, huge sum of money, and they've got next to no revenue. And it's only it's only a matter of time if if that continues before the Saudi investment fund decides to pull it and put their investment elsewhere. Incredible finish. You, you mentioned the Fortnet, uh, which is the first, of course, of uh, the new uh, season on the PGA. What an incredible finish here. I mean, Danny Willett, who has been a major winner, what a meltdown to three part from three feet to hand the tournament on a plate to Max Homer, who is in the United States President's Cup team. It was absolutely bizarre. One of the, the most bizarre finishes this year in terms of the tournament. Look, I mean, Max Homer, you expect him to hit the green um, in regulation and give himself a birdie to perhaps force a playoff. Danny Willett's within three and a half feet of the cup. I mean, he's, he's got this short putt. Then Max Homer goes and chips in. You know, and that, that just really escalates the pressure, I think, for Danny Willett going over that three and a half footer. And typically, Willett's been very, very good in these pressure situations. He has kind of lifted his game for, for these big events. As you, as you said, he's a, um, a Masters champion, and he actually played quite well at the Masters um, this year as well. He misses the three and a half footer, and then suddenly, not only has he missed it, he's put it five feet past. And um, you know, no nobody wants to see um, a player lose a tournament like that. Um, it, it was a bizarre but enthralling finish. Um, yeah, you you just could not have seen it coming. But look, full credit to Max Homer. He mentioned afterwards that one of his um, one of his motivators for the week was that there was a lot of murmuring around the fact that he was only in this squad for the President's Cup um, because the live guys had, le- had left. So it really gave him that motivation um, going into the tournament. So, um, look, full, full credit to him to, to go back-to-back. That makes it the fifth back-to-back winner on the PGA Tour in, in 2022 in terms of defending that title, which is the most since 2007. Um, in that year, four of those events were Tiger Woods defending his title. So it really puts in perspective of kind of this, this changing the guard of more and more players um, defending their titles on tour this year. Uh, before we leave uh, the golfing uh, subject, uh, we've got to talk about Ryan Fox, of course, who had the uh, accident at the barbecue. You've got to be careful about barbecues. But he's back uh, playing in the French Open tomorrow night. He is, look, and I really like Ryan Fox's chances this week. Part of it is that narrative, kind of similar to Homer, of, of Fox has spoken about, you know, the um, being left out of the, the President's Cup team and, and the way that that's affected him going into um, this tournament. So I really think that gives him a motivator this week in terms of, you know, wanting to show Immelman what he's missed out on and that he should have been in the squad. The, the other thing I'd say with Fox as well is he's had a pretty grueling schedule. We had this huge run where he was just playing brilliantly and he did fall off a little bit at events like the Scottish Open and the Open Championship. But of course, there was also a shift to more of these link-style courses. So coming back to a course where the Greens perhaps going to be a little bit softer at the French Open um, and as a course that he played on well before, it's also, um, if I compare it to another um, tournament on the DP World Tour, the Sudal Open, which is in Belgium, um, it's it's a similar layout to that of in terms of driving off the tee. You actually have to be quite accurate, which isn't necessarily Ryan Fox's game. However, when he does club down and he goes to say a three wood or a two iron, um, he actually performs really well. And, and he ended up second at that tournament um, in the Sudal Open earlier this year. So I do see some similarities to that, and um, I quite like him at that thirty to one um, odds on the uh, the markets this week. Okay, cool. Uh, I'll have a seat at 30 to 1. That's juicy. Have a, have a look at that. Uh, to be honest, uh, when we talk golf, we're uh, 
Producer Logan Swinkles and I, uh, we always regard you as our first port of call, David, because uh, it's such a thorough piece of analysis that you bring us. But you've also got uh, Win Daily, and of course, there's a current promotion going on. Tell us a wee bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. So I work for for Win Daily Sports, so I do um, articles and analysis um, on both the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour. Um, so within that sphere, basically, I analyse these events and do do as my Twitter handle says, deep dive golf. I deep dive into these events in terms of the weather forecast, the course profile, which golfers that's going to suit, whether there's any weather edge in terms of teeing off in the morning and teeing off in the afternoon. This season, um, I've tipped 54 tournaments and I've picked 14 winners um, across this year. So that's a strike rate of 26 percent in terms of um, hitting winners um, in in names that I've given out. Typically, I'll put I'll tip between um, six to eight golfers at each week. So um, it's been a very good year in terms of the tipping. We are running a promotion moving into the PGA Tour starting um, this uh, this last week as well. So at the moment, we're doing a one-month free trial. Um, so come and experience the product. You get to speak with me directly via our Discord channel, ask me any questions that you have, read my articles and analysis, and, and see who I like for the week. Um, then if you do like the product, it's just um, 5.99 US per week from there on. Um, and that's access to sports. We cover things like um, the NFL, MLB, NBA, um, soccer, Premier League. So there's a lot of experts within that that you get um, access to. Um, and if you love golf, it's a great place to come and join the community. So um, if people want to access that promotion, come to my Twitter handle, Deep Dive Golf, and it's the first post there. Click the link and, and you'll sign up on that special. I'm in. I'm in, David. Uh, 26% with the amount of uh, with the odds that are presented for golf uh, from the outset. That is an amazing return. Uh, congratulations on that. And thanks so much again for making yourselves, uh, yourself available. So look forward to uh, the President's Cup uh, uh, over the weekend. Uh, I think it's going to be a magnificent occasion. At Quail Hollow, David, thank you. Pleasure, Stanley. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, cheers, uh, David uh, Bileski there, folks. 40,000 people a day will turn up, will turn up to Quail Hollow. 40,000 people a day. And you talk about the total viewing audience of 95,000 for live, total viewing worldwide. 40,000 people a day will turn up there. They have allowed, in terms of hospitality, 500,000 square feet of hospitality space. 500,000 feet, square feet of hospitality space. Because it's conventional, because it's the PGA, because it's uh, non-rebellious, they're going all out on this one. It will be a magnificent event. It's 11.23 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Just before we finish on the golf, uh, Smithy, is David aware, David Belesky aware, we have two New Zealand boys playing the Junior President's Cup at the moment, Jaden Ford from Wellington and Joshua Bai from Auckland. They had a win and a loss yesterday. Try to keep you a little bit more updated on the Junior President's Cup as well. Uh, When it comes to basketball in this country, though, uh, the name uh, Tom Abercrombie just has to be there. But, of course, he's had some terrible injury problems in the last uh, two years or so. And at the weekend in the match against Brisbane, he had issues as well. Um, this is uh, Tom Abercrombie commenting, uh, commentating on the last of his uh, latest injuries that occurred in that match. Uh, what happened? A uh, bit of an inconspicuous little poke in the eye. Um, and yeah, came off and just lost a portion of my vision in that eye. Didn't really think there was 
too much to it, but um, you know, eyes are pretty sensitive things. So went off and saw the, the doctor specialist, and um, yeah, found out pretty significant tear in there, and uh, I had to rush back to New Zealand, try and go and see the surgeon there, and um, so booked in tonight to, to go and get that fixed up. Yes, yeah, so I've had a range of options on recovery time. Um, you know, sur- surgeon in Australia was talking, depending on the options, anywhere from you know two weeks to, to three months. Um, and you know, seeing the specialists in New Zealand, it was the same thing. But based on the the different options there, um, the different types of surgeries, it's I'm hoping this option sort of is in that one to two week recovery zone. Um, you know, the other option is, is sort of six weeks. Uh, with a pretty significant amount of time lying in a certain position post-surgery where you're not allowed to, to move. So, um, again, not, you know, I'm no expert on this, but uh, from, that, from what I understand, that's, that's the option at the moment, and um, that's what their plan is going into the surgery anyway. I'm not going to know until uh, tomorrow morning sort of what the recovery time and um, how that recovery looks, uh, a little bit in the dark. <laughs> it's been nearly a 1,000 days since i played a game at home and um, you know, there's nothing I've been looking forward to more these past few months than October 7th at Spark and you know, hopefully with uh, this surgical option um, and the recovery time from that, that, that's still a realistic target for me. Uh, that's certainly what I'll be working towards. Freakish, absolutely freakish. I would have had to be very careful about him flying home straight away because all the pressure on a plane uh, with a damaged eye would have been interesting. I imagine they, they researched that as well. It's 11.31 here on SENZ, which means it's time to stump Smithy. 0800-150-811 is the phone number. 0800-150-811. Today we will be playing for a $50 uh, bonus bet voucher from the TAB. Uh, we shall uh, put that up for grabs with uh, three categories available to you. Questionnaire will be Logan Swinkles and uh, Brian Rariri. I can see is poised to take your phone calls now. So get on the blower and uh, get the opportunity to win from the TAB as we speak. And as we go into the news now with Araha. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it's time for your favourite and my favourite time of the show. Stumped with Ian Smith here on SNZ Morning. Smithy playing for a $50 TAB bonus bet. Are our listeners, let's get right into it. We'll bring in our first contestant, Simon from Hamilton. Come to the crease, mate. Let's bring it on. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Simon. All the very best. What are the categories today, please, Logan? Today we have cricket, netball and basketball. Take your pick, Simon. Uh, we'll go basketball. Ooh. All right, let's go to the court. Good luck. Of course, yeah, that injury to uh, Thomas Amicrop, I really hope he pulls through there because anything to do with the eye, that is scary stuff. First question. This season, the Breakers have import Rayon Rupert from the NBL Next Stars program. He's projected to go in the first round of the next NBA draft. Which country does Ryan Rupert come from? Australia. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. Well then, uh, this is an interesting one for me, Logan, because I think if you had pronounced it the way his country pronounced it, it would have given it away. (laughs) Do you want another crack at it? 
I, I don't know, because is that thing going to give it away to you? No, I know it. Well, I'm just going to say, because I'm a generous bugger, I thought, Simon, if you gave it the proper uh, the proper Jew uh, pronunciation, it might give him a better chance. That's all I'm saying. You, uh, I'm leaving it up to you. Go on. Uh, you, you, know, you, you, put, you put me straight, mate. You put me straight. Ryan Rupert. Fr- Ryan Rupert, shall we say? Simon from... Yeah. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Oh, you are generous, Smithy. All right, second question. It's not. Well, it's hardly Rupert the Bear, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, second question. Sydney Kings are the defending AMBL champions prior to that 2020 championship. What year did they last win it? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not 2015. Over to you, Smithy. Yeah, it sort of sounds um, like something we've heard before uh, when we were talking about it at the end of last season. 2017? One of the worst things I have ever oh. seen done on a cricket field. FYI, 2015 was the last time the Breakers won. Uh, this is going back a bit. The last time the Kings won before last year was 2005. Oh, wow. Wow, still okay. Alive. There you go. So, still alive there, Simon, courtesy of the generosity there of Smithy. Last question with the TAB $50 bonus bet on the line. Once upon a time, New Zealand had a team in the Australian WNBL what was the name of that Christchurch-based team? Oh, I heard this a week or so ago, 10 days or so ago. Um, but I can't remember, but I'll have a stab. And I want to say the Warriors. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Really, that would have been interesting. He had two New Zealand Warriors teams in an Australian competition. Smithy, over to you. Yeah, I, well, Canterbury Rams is a basketball team down there. Canterbury Rams. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to be... Uh, I'm just going to say, staying on the um, the sheep theme, were they called the Canterbury Ewes? One of the no? worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Gone in 2008 out of that Australian WL, WNBL competition was the Sirens. Oh. Canterbury Sirens. No, I was way off the mark there. I just thought it Rams use. No, okay, fair enough. Okay, so, um, yeah, well, Simon, congratulations to you. We were both uh, both equally poor this morning, I think it's fair to say. Glenn Turner would say that. You're poor. Your performance was poor yeah. today, and so was mine, Simon. So, But at the end of the day, you didn't have to win if I couldn't come up with the right answer. So, Congratulations, stay on the line. Brian will get your details. I'm sure you've won before, um, but we'll get that money to you as soon as possible. Very sporting of you to give me that first one again, Smithy. Thank you very much. Well, that's me, mate. That's the reason why I'd, I'd never mancat anybody in a serious game of cricket. You see, that's, that's, that's just the wicketkeeper and me being uh, a nice, generous bloke. Have a great day, Simon, by the by. Have a great yeah. day. Uh, we're going to continue on in the show here with uh, what we tried to do yesterday, but because of the fire alarm, we couldn't. Uh, because there's no fires burning uh, up in Auckland as we speak. We shall do Mount Rushmore very shortly, Logan Swinkles and myself. 
four great grounds each. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, uh, it's Mount Rushmore time and uh, we've got an interesting one today. It's uh, sporting venues which uh, are our favourites and uh, for various reasons. Um, and Logan Swinkles, I invite you to bat first. Oh, thank you. Good, sir. Yes, I love this topic and we've had quite a lot of number of great texts there on the Temper Bear Post text machine about it from uh, listeners as well. Uh, going first, I'm going local. Uh, if this, <laughs> Brian will no doubt accuse me of a hipster pick here, but I'm going real local. I'm going Queenstown Ice Arena because talking about personal experiences here, and I know this is what this will be a lot about, is I've seen a lot of great moments in New Zealand ice hockey history there, both as a commentator and working behind the camera. But none comes more special to me, Smithy, than the 2018 Trans-Tasman Series win that the New Zealand Ice Blacks had against the Aussies. Uh, and, of course, they then followed it up the next year. So going back-to-back was awesome. But you get to get to have your chips, have a mulled wine or a beer, sit down, have a good night out, and one of the absolute jewels of the Queenstown crown, and that is the Queenstown Ice Arena. And that would be a very big step for New Zealand ice hockey. Now Eden from front, he shoots, he scores! Eden shoots glove side to beat Tetro, and this is a 6-1 game. And the Ice Blacks clear it down to run the final remaining seconds off the clock here, and that will do it here in Queenstown. The Ice Blacks are victorious 6-1 over the Australia Mighty Roos, gaining their first series victory. There's a very small barn down there in Queenstown there, Smithy, but it does create the atmosphere. That voice was Dr. Joel Rindelab, who uh, we've had on the show before, who you probably may now know him on Celebrity Treasure Island, of all things. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> haven't seen uh, Celebrity Treasure Island. I've never had the uh, pleasure of going to the arena down there in Queenstown either. But I have been fortunate enough to go to uh, all four of mine. Um, and my number four is Wimbledon, actually. Uh, and at Wimbledon, just for the atmosphere, the, the 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 back courts where you can get up close and personal with all the players, have to get more ticket orientated and get a bit more lucky to get closer to centre court. But I've been on centre court at Wimbledon, and when you watch it at home, you think it's this vast arena, uh, and it is quite big. But when you're actually in there, you're sitting on top of the players. It's absolutely magnificent. Uh, there in uh, 1983, of course, and that was the year of Chris Lewis. So Wimbledon's my number four. Yeah, and he's
And there won't be a number nine because we know that uh, it's done and dusted for the great man. What's your number three? Yeah, sticking with the tennis theme, Smithy, you've been to Wimbledon. That is amazing. I would love to go there one day. Uh, But I have had the fortune uh, back in 2018 of going to Roland Garros to cover the French Open there with uh, one James McConey. And honestly, it was a place like no other. Uh, Prior to that, I've never really been to like a big international sporting event like that. I definitely was a bit of a fish out of water, but the atmosphere was incredible. It's just this giant festival of tennis that people dress up, you know, fancy, casual, or uh, sometime in costume. Saw some uh, Americans there dressed up like 80s rock stars slash tennis stars. Freaking loved that. Uh, get a few drinks, have a good time. That is Roland Garros. And of course, none better than the King of Clay, Rafael Nadal. Brilliant. Would love to go there one day. Bucket list, Roland Garros. Uh, number three for me, quite easy, the MCG. Uh, the vastness of it. Stand out in the middle as a player. Stand out there in the middle as a commentator and take it all in. Added to now by the uh, great Shane Warne stand or the great Southern stand renamed. It is something special to behold, to be fair. Um, and it's been the scene of so many great sporting occasions and on so many occasions where New Zealand cricket teams in particular have been ripped off. The MCG, number three. So Shane Warne on a hat-trick. He's uh, got two in two and he's going to bowl to Devon Malcolm. Devon Malcolm with everyone around him. Five men plus the keeper around the batsman. Here we go. Fleming took the last one. Merv Hughes before him. Yes! Oh, he's got him! He's got him! Yes, he has! He's got him! It's a hat-trick! Yes, he's got him! He's gone! It's a hat-trick! That's a hat-trick to Shane Warne. A great moment in his career. What a catch by David Boone. Yeah, the great Tony Gregg uh, commentating in. That was a really great catch by David Boone, I've got to say. Number two for you. Number two for me, I've been to plenty of ballparks uh, around USA and Canada, Smithy, but I also, I can't go past the history of Boston's Fenway Park, famous for its green monster, a.k.a. the wall that stands at 11.33 metres tall out there in the left field, the highest wall in Major League Baseball. Helps to steal away a few home runs, of course, there in favour of Boston. And when you think of Boston, I think of David Ortiz, and this is him absolutely smacking one. Bases loaded. Two out. Hard hit into right. Back at the wall. Two game! Back in 2013, the ALCS Championship Game 2 there. I just love the pop of a home run ball and the crowd exploding like that, Smithy. Big puppy. Fantastic slugger, as they called him, and a first base. Couldn't do much else in the game apart from that, but didn't need to. And an absolute legend there. So uh, I respect your choice there uh, at uh, number two. It's an absolute beauty. Uh, Eden Park for me is uh, my number two 2011 Rugby World Cup of course uh, scene of so many uh, great sporting moments uh, not just internationally but domestically including uh, the World Cup semi-final in 2015 uh, when New Zealand knocked over South Africa earlier they'd beaten uh, of course uh, 
the Australians uh, in that uh, as well. Uh, two magnificent atmospheres. When it's humming at Eden Park, the roof just does literally blow off, even though they haven't got one and they should have one. Uh, it's just phenomenally good ground, uh, and it just brings out the best occasion. And as a Kiwi, I absolutely love the Garden of Eden. So my number two. Do they know it? Do they know it, though? Alice is going to do it. And they're offside. And the All Blacks are the world champions for the second time. Ah, the 2011 Rugby World Cup, Smithy. Those were the days. Mm, Those were the days. Well, it's going to rock this weekend, um, and it's going to rock both days this weekend. So look forward to... Uh, being at Eden Park for one of those days, and if you're lucky enough to have tickets, uh, get in and enjoy. Get Fill your boots. It's fantastic for atmosphere. Uh, number one, pretty easy for me. What about you? Uh, yeah, for me, I mean, ours are completely different for uh, obvious reasons. But for me, I've spent no more time in a sporting arena than Scotiabank Arena, which used to be called Air Canada Centre, uh, and I've seen plenty of games of both the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Raptors, uh, the best being playoff basketball. I've never seen an atmosphere like that, Smithy, and here is just a little taste of it. Sorry, not Drake. It's uh, still producer Logan here. But yes, and they had fireworks, Smithy. Fireworks inside, and it was fine. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I've actually been to the football stadium there, but I've never been uh, the soccer stadium in Toronto, but I've never been, yeah, I've never been in there. Right, just finally, just finally, um, Lords. Simple as that, Lords. Just play Lords. No third man. Again, he gets it down into that region. Two coming back for the third. Yes. That brings up the three figures for Kane Williamson. Well played, Kane Williamson. First time at Lords. 100 on his first Test match here and getting a great applause. It's been a fantastic innings. And he faced 148 deliveries. It's the way he's done it. It's been outstanding. Something he'll remember. It's his 10th hundred and a beauty too. Sorry about the noise. My neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto, don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.